Well, I want to welcome everyone to the show this week. This is Wellness Talk, and I am George Batista, your host and your wellness advocate. All right, so today we're actually going to be diving into iron. So many people have iron problems, whether it's iron deficiency or iron overload, but iron is probably the uh, the uh, the most common mineral deficiency in the world. So we're going to dive into exactly why it is. So we'll dive into some facts, and this is from Wellness Resources. It's called Important Things to Know About Iron Deficiency. So we'll talk about why uh, people have iron deficiency, what are the causes. We're going to talk about... Um, what are the things we can do to get our iron stores back up and some of the things we can take and um, some of the symptoms, right? Because we have not only symptoms of iron deficiency, but there's also symptoms of iron overload. Both are not good, right? You want to make sure your iron is regulated in just the right spot. But if you have it either way, there could be a myriad of symptoms. So we're really going to dive deep into iron this week, and we're going to show you exactly what are the mechanisms of it and um, why you should care about iron in your blood and, um, you know, what are the uh, what are the factors that can affect it? So very, very important information on it for those of you uh, who have an interest in this. Then we're going to talk about vitamin B or B vitamins may reduce the risk of stroke. And this is brand new information. This is from Zhangzhou University in China. And this is talking about it. This is actually a big study. And it talked about how B vitamin supplementation actually reduced the risk of stroke. And this, this was a lot of people that participated in this study. So uh, again, this is something that's very, very important for those of you who want to make sure that you are nutritionally fortified with your B vitamins. Many, many reasons why people can be B vitamin deficient. And um, I think it's going to be of interest to you to make sure that you are getting the nutrition that you need, specifically B vitamins. Now, before we dive into those, there was a major supplement victory this week and this past week, actually. Um, those of you who listen to the show know that a few weeks ago, I talked about how con uh, Congress was trying to pass legislation that affected the supplement industry. So what they were doing, um, Senator Dick Durbin had actually uh, put forth a, a mandatory listing legislation that would add regulations to supplements that would increase the prices for consumers and decrease available options of supplements, making it easier for the FDA to eliminate supplements and also uh, you know, supplements that would compete with, obviously, drug companies and uh, pharmaceutical companies and that type of thing. So what they wanted to do is make it a mandatory listing. This way, the FDA could actually have a say in uh, supplement formulations. And if they wanted to get rid of something, they could. Well, there was a major victory this week because the congressional leaders reached an agreement for the reauthorization of FDA user fees, which was part of this whole legislation. But the package did not include mandatory product listing for supplements. So that's a huge victory here. Now, that does not mean that uh, that it's all great and, you know, peachy and roses because they're thinking, and the Alliance for Natural Health has talked about this, they're thinking that they might try to pass it in other legislation at the end of the year. So those of you who have written your congressmen, written your local leaders about this, thank you for doing that because it's very, very important. But we have to continue the pressure because, um, again, this past or at the end of this year, there could be more legislation. I can try to try to sneak that in there. So they're still trying. They're still trying. And folks, again, like I've said, 
if you really want to make sure that we don't end up uh, like the European Union and what they've done, because they've actually had restrictions put on the supplements and and the amount of uh, nutrients and the amounts that can be actually put into those supplements in Europe. If we won't, if we don't want to go that way in the United States, we really have to put the pressure on them, tell them that we're really unhappy with this type of legislation. So, again, it's it's good in a way that you know we've gotten so we've gotten some breathing room on this, but again, we have to put the pressure on it. So those of you keep putting the pressure on your you know your uh, legislators and on Congress, and hopefully. Uh, we can, you know, do away with this at least for now, because you know they're always trying to do something with this. Okay, so anyway, just wanted to kind of give you guys an update on that. All right, so let's get into the deep dive this week. Again, this is from Wellness Resources. Important things to know about iron deficiency. Let's go over some of the facts first. So, iron deficiency is the most common mineral deficiency in the world. It affects about two billion people. Now, it's estimated that fifteen to thirty-five percent of athletes or female athletes uh, have uh, iron deficiency and five to 11% of male athletes are also iron deficient, but up to 50% of pregnant women around the globe experience anemia, anemia due to a uh, low intake of iron or B12 and or folate. So that's a big thing. And this is why women who are pregnant definitely should be on prenatal vitamins that have the right nutrients in it, including iron. Now, what is iron essential for? So we know that, you know, pretty much basic information, right? Iron is essential for oxygen delivery to cells. It is stored in the red blood cells, in the bone marrow, in the spleen and the liver and the muscles. But 70% of the iron is found within the hemoglobin of the red blood cells. And why is that important? Because you need sufficient iron stores to affect many things in your body, including mitochondrial function, enzyme and cell signaling activities, transport and building proteins, organ function, immune system function, neurotransmitter activation, and tissue repair. Again, so it affects the entire body in many, many different ways. Now, so let's talk about your brain a little bit and as far as iron goes. So brain function for all ages. So starting during pregnancy, optimal iron levels are essential for brain and nerve health. So iron uh, adequacy affects learning. It affects cognitive skills, socio-emotional uh, uh, skills, coordination, balance, and movement. So infants and young children need iron because otherwise all those things suffer, right? Iron is very important to a growing child, not only growing fetus, but a growing child once they are born, right? So iron is ne also necessary for dopamine production. So iron affects the function of other neurotransmitters such as serotonin, glutamate, GABA, epinephrine, and their receptors and gene signals. We've talked about glutamate and GABA many times on this show. It's, you know, glutamate is kind of the excitatory neurotransmitter, whereas GABA is the uh, relaxant. So again, you need that balance between this and iron status also is in intimately involved in that. And it actually also affects the, hippocamp the hippocampus of your brain, okay, which is the memory center of your brain. So iron is involved in that as well. Now, iron is required to produce also what's called the myelin sheath of your brain. So in your brain, you have this myelin sheath. It's, act it's actually a fatty insulation layer around the nerves of your brain. So again, you have 
it's it's uh, fatty tissue, so it's a lot of DHA or fat in there. Cholesterol is, in, is involved in that as well. And then iron is involved because it's required to produce that uh, myelin sheath in the first place. And keep in mind that that myelin sheath, it, it, it affects the speed at which your nerve travel to and from the brain. So iron, again, is intimately involved in that whole signal and the speed of which uh, those trans, those you know, transmitters and those nerve signals um, go back and forth, basically. Okay, so very important things with iron here. Now, uh, let's let's talk about some things that you know iron or low iron is linked to. So we have jumpy legs or nerve irritability. So we have low iron is linked to six and a half times increased risk of fibromyalgia which is related with changes in pain processing mechanisms in the brain and in small nerve fibers. So those of you who are dealing with fibromyalgia, just know that, you know, iron is a part of that whole system. And by the way, restless leg syndrome. Okay. So making your legs feel jumpy as you sleep, that's also part of that as well. Now let's talk about bones and posture. So iron aids in the activation of vitamin D and collagen production. And by the way, Collagen production, also vitamin C, is intimately involved in this as well. Because remember, vitamin C is one of the precursors to collagen production. Okay, so, but it's needed. Both of those are needed in the in the strengthening and support of bone formation. So, adequate iron, you can say, that supports your uh, posture, basically, because that's you know that's part of it as well. Now, let's talk about uh, adrenals and thyroid. So iron is required for the adrenal glands to secrete cortisol, okay? Now, without adequate iron, you may experience ongoing fatigue levels, a limited exercise tolerance. You may feel winded easily, and you may have that cold feeling. Just like, again, people who are have, a, let's say, a hyperthyroid problem, their, their thyroid is fast, they have that cold feeling. Well, iron is also intimately involved in that. So if you are low in iron, a lot of people who have iron deficiency will feel that cold, will feel the fatigue. And, th and those are generally like the, the mainstream uh, signals of iron deficiency, right? Is, you know, feeling tired and feeling cold, intolerance to cold, Stuff like that is why a lot of the reasons why people go to their doctor when they feel those things and doctor, the, one of the first things that doctors are going to check for is an iron deficiency, right? So definitely part of that whole thing. But iron is also a need for thyroid glands, normal function and iron deficiency increases the risk of autoimmune thyroid concerns. So you're thinking about auto, you know, autoimmune thyroiditis, Graves disease, those types of things. You have to make sure that you have adequate iron or else you may have a risk of autoimmune problems, thyroid and or autoimmune in general, okay? Now, uh, next we're gonna talk about obesity, inflammation, and other health concerns that contribute to iron deficiency. So what contributes to it? We have menstrual blood loss. Obviously women uh, every month have that, you know, menstrual blood loss. That definitely plays a role in iron deficiency. GI bleeding, celiac disease, um, in, intestinal infections, uh, gastrointestinal cancers, hernias, any kind of uh, bariatric surgery can affect it, uh, diverticulosis, gastritis, uh, uh, fatty liver, chronic hepatitis, H. pylori infection, and bowel uh, obstructions. All that can lead to iron deficiencies. And by the way, another thing that is not commonly known is that 
viruses and bacteria actually have been known to take up iron. So there are many viruses, specifically viruses as well. There's many, many studies on this where viruses actually use iron to proliferate. Okay. And viruses depend on iron in order to efficiently replicate within living host cells. And actually some viruses actually selectively infect iron. So um, that's, that's part of an issue as well. They actually use iron to replicate, proliferate all around. So, you know, just some things to, to think about when it comes to viruses and bacteria. A lot of, there's been, there, there needs to be more studies on it, but there have been some major studies that have shown that. Now, what about medication? Medication is a biggie. It's, a, it's huge when it comes to iron deficiency because there's so many medications. One of the big ones is what's called a proton pump inhibitor. Now, you may know it as uh, Prilosec, Prevacid, uh, Protonix, and Nexium. These are the uh, medications that are given to people who have acid reflux. And what does it do? It basically takes the stomach acid out or lowers the amount of stomach acid, and it actually hinders digestion. So yes, you know, you may, people may feel better when it comes to um, dealing with uh, acid reflux, but there's damage happening on the other side. Why? Because Number one, you're not able to digest food properly. You need stomach acid to digest food, plain and simple. Stomach acid is needed. And if you don't have enough stomach acid, you're going to find yourself having a problem digesting food. And therefore, you're going to have a problem digesting nutrients. So why is that, you know, why is that a big issue? Because then you're looking at, again, uh, going towards iron deficiency because you're not digesting the iron that you're getting. And, um, you know, it can be a big, big problem. Okay. Blood thinning medications also, and certain bio, uh, antibiotics also can lead to iron deficiency. So it's, you know, I, I, I understand that people having acid reflux problems and that type of thing. There's many other ways that people can deal with it on the natural side, but, you know, proton pump inhibitors and those types of things are one of the biggest uh, drugs that are, or one of the biggest medications that are given out today, but they also, there's, there's an also big, uh, increase with that as far as risk increase for cancers and other types of issues as well. So they do not come without side effects. So just keep those things in mind when you're thinking about, you know, acid reflux and stuff like that. It's a major issue. Now, Let's talk about nutrients that may affect iron absorption. So there are nutrients that can compete with iron. Um, these include calcium, fiber, green tea, uh, manganese, milk thistle, phosphorus, soy proteins, high-dose turmeric, and zinc. But the greatest interference occurs with these nutrients because if they are taken in high doses at the same time as dietary or supplemental iron. Okay. So that, that's where people are seeing the effect. Okay. It's not when you're, you know, typically you're, you're not really going to see that when you're not taking as much iron, but when you're taking iron together with high doses of these supplements, then you have this, you get this competition that's happening. So, and another thing that is not widely known is that copper actually has an effect on iron. And I've, I've gotten into this recently, but copper actually plays a major role when it comes to iron. Why is that? Because a good portion of the iron that's in your body, uh, probably most of the iron that's in your body is actually recycled iron. Well, copper 
is actually part of the recycling process. And actually, you need copper in order for the recycling of iron to happen properly. And copper regulates iron. So if you don't have uh, enough copper, iron can actually not be recycled properly. You could actually end up with an iron overload because it's not regulated and not recycled properly. So this is something to think about. And actually, I would point to uh, there's a gentleman named Morley Robbins, and he is the founder of the Magnesium Adv Advocacy Group. And he talks about this and he, he's, he's gone on, you know, he's done, he's done uh, many writings and, and stuff like that. And he's gone on, you know, he's done many interviews and, and written papers on this, on the role. I think actually he's writing a book or he's written a book on this. I don't remember, but he's actually um, talked about the role of copper in terms of iron uh, deficiency or overload. So it's very, very, it's, again, it's, this is science. There's not a lot out of there, you know, not a lot out on this. But it's something to think about. And a lot of people, a lot of doctors are not aware of that, by the way. So copper is something to take a look at when it comes to iron as well. Now, iron and red blood cell production. So the kidneys, which can, you know, which secrete a hormone called, uh, it, I always butcher this name, so forgive me if I butcher this, but it's called erythropoietin. I hope I got that right. Okay. But uh, this is secreted by the kidneys and this tells your, your, your body to produce red blood cells. Okay. Red blood cells are called erythrocytes. So every day about 200 billion red blood cells are produced in your body. So this process requires about 20 milligrams of iron obtained through your diet and iron stores in your body. So Again, your kidneys are intimately involved in the production of red blood cells. Therefore, uh, iron is intimately involved in this process. So let's talk a little bit about iron deficiency. So some of the one of the first stages of depletion in iron and uh, iron deficiency is uh, the stores, the iron stores within your body. This is the first stage of iron depletion. So you have what's called serum ferritin. Some of you may have heard it. You may see it on blood tests, your ferritin levels or your serum ferritin levels. And what that does is that measures your iron stores. Okay. So low iron stores are the only reason for low serum ferritin. Okay. But again, copper may have something to do with that as well. Again, new science coming out on that, but iron deficiency slows down erythropoiesis, okay, or the production of red blood cells. So over time, it actually causes iron deficiency anemia and um, with lower red blood cell counts and hemoglobin levels. So iron deficiency anemia is a deeper stage of iron depletion, okay? Uh, very, very important stuff. Now, we also have, again, serum ferritin and other ferritin-related markers are considered superior and more accurate than the hemoglobin or red blood cell count to evaluate iron deficiency as defined. So again, when doctors are looking at this, they're looking at, you know, ferritin, serum ferritin levels. And, you know, doctors are now, they used to always just look at iron. But now, you know, as time went on, they started to realize that the serum ferritin levels are a better marker when it comes to iron deficiency. So, that's one of the things. But now, again, I think one of the things the doctors do need to look at, and again, if you look at some of the science, copper needs to be looked at as well. Again, this is there's more science that needs to be you know brought out on that. But if you have elevated ferritin, okay, or iron excess and increased ferritin levels are also a cause for concern. Okay, so it's not just iron deficiency, but it's also elevated iron. So high 
uh, ferritin levels may occur because of acute illness, uh, overactive thyroid, uh, chronic alcoholism, poorly controlled diabetes, and other medical concerns. So again, you, that can be over uh, iron overload, okay? So now let's take a look at the recommended daily allowances for iron. So the recommended daily allowances are from birth to six months, you're looking at 0 0.27 milligrams. Then we're looking at from seven to 12 months, you're looking at 11 milligrams. Uh, from one to three years old, seven milligrams. Four to eight years old, 10 milligrams. Nine to 13 years, it's eight milligrams. 14 to 18 years, it's 11 to 15 milligrams. 19 to 50 years is eight to 18 milligrams. And 51 plus is eight milligrams. Now, obviously, again, women who are breastfeeding or have menstrual cycles, they need more iron, okay? Because remember, you lose iron. And obviously, when a woman is pregnant, now the iron divides, right? Between the woman and the, and the fetus. So that's something to think about. And also people or, you know, women or who are pregnant and or on plant-based diets or people in general that are on plant-based diets, you also have to kind of heed that warning as well, making sure you're getting enough iron because again, plant-based diets tend to be a lot lower in iron. And I know a lot of people who are anemic, who are vegetarians or vegans and they're anemic. And a lot of times it's because they just don't eat enough of the iron. They don't have enough of the greens. They're not eating enough of the nutritious, um, the nutrition, nutritious diet to get enough iron or replace the iron that they would have gotten from a meat-based diet. So, you know, it's, it's a trade-off you have to really, but it's something you really have to take a look at. Now, what are the best sources of iron? Okay. So we have, obviously everyone knows the red meats, the poultry, the seafood, the eggs, legumes, spinach, tomatoes, um, have iron, nuts, grains, even dark chocolate has iron, by the way. So those are like some of the highest foods that have iron uh, in it to take a look at. Now, iron quality, huge difference, okay? Because there's different types of iron. Now, typically, when you would go to your doctor and get, uh, you know, let's say your doctor sees that you have an iron deficiency or whatever, they're going to put you on what's called ferrous sulfate. Uh, or they're going to, you know, give you a ferrous sulfate iron pill. And this is also, by the way, commonly added to foods. This is what uh, the foods that get fortified with iron, that's what they use for our sulfate as well. But those tend to have problems. Those, those don't come without side effects, right? Because a lot of people report gastrointestinal problems and, you know, just a lot of uh, irritations when they're taking that type of iron. So there was a randomized control study in pregnant women that demonstrated that 25 milligrams of iron bisglycinate was better absorbed and tolerated than 50 milligrams of ferrous sulfate. Why is that important? Because the iron bisglycinate, which is the iron that I recommend, is iron that's attached to two molecules of glycine. Okay. Glycine is an amino acid. And when the body takes it in, the body, it's able to get into the cells much better because it's attached to the amino acid glycine. And therefore you have iron going through without an issue. And also iron bisglycinate tends to be an iron that is well tolerated and usually doesn't contribute to any kind of stomach problems, stomach upset or anything like that. So, you know, just think about that when you're, you know, looking at iron deficiency. Now, the iron, uh, the supplements that I recommend uh, that do contain iron, again, obviously on this show, we talk about the wellness resources supplements. Those are the supplements of choice for this show. 
So um, top choices with iron, take a look at Blood Booster because that is the premier iron supplement of wellness resources. Again, it contains the iron bisglycinate. Now, for those of you who are pregnant, uh, you can take the daily prenatal multiple vitamin. Again, it contains iron, the iron bisglycinate, and then the children's super mini multi for the young kids who are growing and need iron. Okay. So very, very important, but those are the supplements that I recommend when it comes to, uh, if you feel that you are low in iron, obviously, if you are already on an iron, uh, pill from your doctor, you talk to your doctor about, you know, any kind of changes or any kind of changes you want to make as far as, you know, whether you're taking a supplement or not taking a supplement or whatever it is, make sure you do that first. Now, just one thing about iron that I want to bring up also is, um, one recommendation that I have to folks never, ever, ever take a, uh, unless you're a child or a pregnant woman, never take an iron supplement that, or a, a multivitamin that contains iron. If you do not have an iron deficiency. Okay. There are many multivitamins out there that do contain iron and it's just part of their multivitamin formulation. Do not do that because it's more often than not, if your iron status is fine, that you have more iron in your system than you need, or you have enough iron. If you take a supplement that contains iron and you do not have an iron deficiency, that can actually lead to iron overload, which can cause problems. So again, you know, do not take a multivitamin that contains iron if you are not iron deficient. So just my little warning there, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind. You don't want to mess around with it. The supplement that I take as far as uh, daily energy multivitamin with wellness resources does not contain iron because they know exactly how to formulate it. They know what needs to be done as far as those, you know, those formulations that they've worked with. So very, very important. So at the bottom line is know your iron status. And uh, these are just some things to think about in the back of your mind when you're looking at iron deficiency or iron overload. But take a look at it. Very, very important stuff. But uh, I think it's worth checking out. Okay, next. Vitamin B may reduce risk of stroke. And this again, this is from Zhang Zhao University, September 23rd, brand new information on B vitamins. So this was a study that uncovered that vitamin D supplements could help to reduce the risk of stroke according to a study published in the journal Neurology. Very, very important. So I'm going to read directly from the study. In order to determine the role of vitamin B supplements in the risk of stroke, Professor Yuming and colleagues analyzed 14 randomized clinical trials involving a total of 54,000 participants. All studies compared use of vitamin B supplements with a placebo or a very low dose of the vitamin. All participants were then followed for a period of six months. Results of the analysis revealed that the participants taking the B vitamin supplements had a 7% reduced risk of stroke compared with those taking the placebo supplements or a low dose of B vitamins. That's a huge 7% risk of stroke. You can't find a um, prescription, prescription medication that will do that, right? So very important. This is why it's important, again, to make sure that you are nutritionally fortified, especially with your B vitamins. Now, it's not easy to have a B12 deficiency, okay? You can, but I mean, if everything's working well in your body, um, you shouldn't have a B12 deficiency, 
but at the same time you can because they're the reasons why you can for example would be let's say you have what's called a polymorphism right what's called a snp or single nucleotide polymorphism where a person does not um process b vitamins properly or and or folate properly so in those instances again my wife was one of those folks in those instances yes you definitely want to make sure you are taking the active form of b vitamins so when you were looking at the active form of b vitamins when you're taking a look at supplements you want methylcobalamin or adenosylcobalamins you want to make sure you're looking at your b12 supplements and they have to have those names because those are the active forms when you're looking at folate you're looking at it will actually say folate or it will say uh tetrahydrofolate something like that but it should not say folic acid because folic acid is is not well tolerated in the body and it's actually the inactive form and um the body doesn't really use folic acid well it needs folate that's what it converts into. But a lot of people have a problem converting B vitamins. Now, the B vitamin conversion happens. <clears throat> there is a gene that actually helps the, this conversion process. But again, if you have a genetic polymorphism, um, that can be a problem because you may not be converting it. And uh, it can affect DNA methylation, which in turn can affect uh, cognition. And it can it could also affect um, things like detoxification, uh, you know, uh, brain detoxification. It can affect what's called homocysteine. It can make your homocysteine levels go really, really high. Homocysteine is a marker for inflammation. You do not want that. It can affect lead levels in your body, all different types of heavy metal levels in your body. So again, you know, just make sure a lot of doctors don't test for this, but this is why I recommend people being on a multivitamin either way with the active forms of B vitamin. Very, very important. But this was a very, very good study on this. A lot of, I mean, this was 54,000 participants. So this is not a small thing. And a 7% reduction in the risk, you know, uh, is, is huge. And this risk is very, very huge. So just something to think about. Okay. But uh, good science on this. And it's something you should keep in the back of your mind when you're looking at taking supplements and so on and so forth. All right. All right, so that's what we have for this week. Very good science. So we looked at the role of iron and we looked at iron deficiency and iron overload and some of the things you can do and some of the natural things you can do as far as making sure that your iron is effective or your iron, uh, you know, you're, you have iron in the right ranges. Some of the supplements you can take if you have iron deficiency and some of the things to look out for. Then we looked at the study of uh, B vitamins in terms of stroke and um, how those B vitamins have a 7% risk of, uh, you know, risk of stroke or, or, you know, reduce the risk of stroke by 7%, huge, huge information. And um, again, those of you who are, um, you know, keeping tabs on the uh, supplement regulations that are coming out of Congress, make sure you continue to do that. You can go to, to Alliance, for Na uh, Alliance for Natural Health and uh, they, they will, uh, you know, have some good updates on that. Okay. Make sure you go to georgebatista.com, by the way, to check out all the, the uh, articles that we go over and make sure that you like, share, and subscribe. Don't forget. Okay. All right. So hope you every guys have a great week. Take care of yourselves and each other. And as always, don't forget to control your health. Have a great day.